Turn with me to Matthew chapter five. How many of you guys are excited to talk about retaliation and vengeance this morning? Another awesome, awesome message in the series. Uh, so much fun. Matthew chapter five, we're gonna be in verses 38 to 42 this morning, so why don't you guys say word when you get there? Okay. It says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Anybody in this room ever been offended before? Yeah, at least half of you, that's awesome. Uh, have you ever felt like giving somebody what they deserved? 20% of you, very cool. Uh, anybody in this room ever seen The Princess Bride before? All right, my wife is gonna love me for this one, but um, I'm gonna get slack for this forever. But I waited until I was 40 years old to see The Princess Bride. I went so long that finally it just became this stubborn thing where I was like, I'm not gonna watch it, I'm not gonna watch it. Everybody kept telling me, you should watch it, you should watch it. I'm like, I'm not gonna watch it. And then at 40 years old, I finally watched that movie. I finally gave in. But what's the classic line from that movie? My name is Inigo Montoya. What is it? You killed my father, prepare to die, right? So I watched this interview. Anybody know the name of the actor who played Inigo Montoya? Yes, very good. Yes, his name is, his name is Mandy Pantinkin. Pantinkin, something like that. Anyway, I watched this interview with him this week. And um, when he was asked what his favorite line from that movie was, he responded with, there's two lines in the movie that were actually my favorite. He said, of course, I'll go with the, the, the most popular line, that one. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. Um, but then he said, he goes into the store and he said, everybody knows that line, but he said 25 years later after I did that movie, I was sitting in a hotel room with my wife and uh, the uh, Princess Bride was on TV in the hotel room and so he said, decided to watch the movie again myself 25 years later. And uh, he said, as he watched the end of the movie, there was this line that he had totally forgotten that he said which actually became his favorite line of the whole movie, like the most important line of the whole movie. He said, as this 55-year-old Mandy was sitting there watching 30-year-old Mandy in this movie, he said um, that this line that he had said at, at 30 years old, didn't, he didn't quite understand at 30 the significance of that line. 25 years later, it meant something totally different to him than he did when he said it at age 30. But he says towards the end of the movie, I've been in the revenge business so long, now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And, um, and so anyway, he goes on to say that he loved that line because the purpose of revenge was worthless and pointless, and he said the purpose of his existence should be to embrace our fellow human beings and not be revengeful. And I thought it was like a really interesting comment. Um, but how many of us in this room this morning have actually struggled in our lives to being so revengeful our whole life that we don't even know what life is like without revenge. 
Um, so many of us are used to retaliating constantly in our life to everything that somebody says, every offense that we get, that we don't even know what it's like to live life without this retaliation, this sense of revenge that we have. And so anyway, um, revenge is a dangerous thing. And so Jesus points out some alternatives to revenge in uh, this, this passage in the book of Matthew. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for each individual in this room. God, I pray that your word would just do its work this morning, that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. God, I pray that our hearts be just fully submitted to you. I pray for just a softening of the hardest of hearts in this room. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that your joy be present in this place. Jesus, I pray for those of us that just have such a tight grip on our heart, um, that have such a tight grip on um, our lives, that this morning we would just kind of release that to you and say, Jesus, have your way with us. Iron out all the junk within us, God, and make us whole in you, Jesus. I pray that this morning your word would just move like mightily, crazily, awesomely in and through us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So many of you guys in this room I know have a ton of real stories, I mean real stories of times when somebody's said something to you, um, done something to you, um, some sort of injustice or something that just pierced your heart. And there's certainly some of you in this room who have been robbed maybe at some point in your life, maybe some material possession has been taken from you, maybe some sort of intellectual property has been taken from you, maybe just something that was really special from you was taken from you, um, or maybe there's been a situation in your life when someone just went off on you verbally. Anybody ever been there? Um, call you all sorts of names. Uh, this morning, as we dig into this passage, and we keep moving through this, this series of the book of Matthew, um, we're going to continue talking about how people in the kingdom, as Jesus refers to it, the kingdom of God, live here and now. And specifically this morning, I want to talk to you about how a person of this kingdom that Jesus talks about responds to personal offense in their life. And so if you are in Christ, if you consider yourself a believer, a follower of Jesus, how are you going to respond in your life when people hurt you, when people abuse you, when people take advantage of you, when people offend you? How are you going to respond um, when you think or feel like your rights in your life have been violated? And so here's the spoiler sort of for the whole thing, the, the kind of the gist of the whole message is that Jesus is calling us to extend forgiveness to those that offend us, Amen. He's, he's calling us to go the extra mile. We're never called to take vengeance out on those that offend, vengeance out on those that offend us, but we're to actually to extend forgiveness to them. Um, remember that, that Jesus is showing us how the Old Testament law is ultimately fulfilled in him. He says that he didn't came, come to abolish the law, but actually to fulfill it. He didn't come to get rid of the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so he's showing how these religious leaders of their time had made a mockery of the law. And, and so this week, this should be something that's familiar to us all, actually, because I, all, I think all of us struggle with this in some form or fashion. In verse 38, he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, these people have been told that, that, that there should be justice done for the things that had happened to them. And so the statement when Jesus says, 
eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It was this common Old Testament statement. Jesus is pointing back to the law. And I think it's actually familiar for us as well because we live in a society that wants to give people what they deserve. We want to repay justice ourselves. But in the Old Testament law, they were told that if you do something to someone because you meant to do it, so if it was an intentional thing that you did to somebody, it was premeditated, it, again, it was intentional, that there were specific things that should be done back to you by the courts or by the government. So if you punched somebody in the face and you knocked out their tooth, then you'd go before the courts or before the government and they, they, their sort of judgment on you would be, well, you should actually lose your tooth as well because that's what you took from them. And so there's portions of, of scripture in Exodus and Leviticus that we can read through um, that point back to this law. But this was known in the Jewish law as this law of retaliation. So th- this law was instituted for a couple reasons. One, um, that this law was given so that there would be just punishment for something that someone did to somebody else. And so these judges and, and these lawyers were really clear on what should be done to someone who poked somebody's eye out. Like, what should happen if you intentionally fracture somebody's arm out of spite? Like, you intentionally go after them. It's premeditated. Like, can you imagine that? Like, give me your arm today. I'll break your arm, and then I'm going to go before the court, and then the court's going to decide that I'm going to get my arm broken for breaking yours. But there was this part of the, the Mishnah, or the, the, the Jewish oral tradition, that was devoted to what were proper retaliations for certain offenses that you would you would do. And so, for instance, if you, again, if you knock somebody's tooth out, it's really interesting. Like, if you knock somebody's tooth out because you're really angry with them, but it happened to be a bad tooth and it came out anyway, um, they wouldn't actually go after your good tooth. They'd actually go for your bad tooth. So it was of equal kind, right? Like, you get your bad tooth taken out as equal payment for taking somebody else's bad tooth. But the second reason for this law um, the reason it was given was that it was given so that people would not seek personal retaliation themselves. People wouldn't just go out and like, oh, you took my eye, I'm gonna come after you and I'm gonna take your eye as well. But it was actually to be handed over to the court of law, handed over to the government to, to, to dictate what, the, 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 what was gonna happen with the person that took somebody else's eye or somebody else's tooth. And so they were actually never, and we're never, actually called to seek our own revenge. Like, that wasn't the intention, to just develop a society where basically, if somebody did something back to you, you just go after them and do it right back. That wasn't what they were trying to build. They were trying to create a society where somebody did something to you, then it was brought before the court of law, and then it was determined by the court of law what the action was gonna be that was taken against that person. And so if it was an arm, it was an arm. If it was an eye, an eye, a tooth, a tooth. So for us as individuals, before we even get into this morning, I wanna remind us that our call is not to revenge. Jesus hasn't called us to go after people ourselves and make them pay for what they've done. Our call as followers of Jesus is to forgiveness and to love, period. And so that, that, that was and always was the case. Like, in fact, in Leviticus, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, I am the Lord. Proverbs says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. So there, there are tons of passages in the Old Testament law that deal with punishment for wrongdoing. 
but they're not dealing with you personally doing the punishment yourself or seeking it out. It wasn't the, the law's intention that you would just go after it yourself. The heart of the law, that as we'll see it this morning, was that we are to be forgiving, that we're actually to be loving people, that we do not seek retaliation out of anger or, or offense ourselves. So in verse 39, he says this, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Who's it talking about? Do not resist the one who is? Is it on the screen? It's an E word. Anybody have their Bibles open? Do not resist the one who is evil. And I think it's really important for us to, to, to point out here this morning that the battle is not of flesh and blood, right? The person that did something to you is not the enemy. Who's the enemy? The enemy's the enemy. Like Satan's the enemy, it's not the person. The enemy's the enemy. And it says, do not resist the one who's evil, the one who intends to do harm. And so Jesus says to them, as he's been saying all along, as we've been reading, I, I know you've been taught this and it's true, but, but it's been applied wrong in your context. So Jesus has given all these statements of, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he keeps telling them, you basically, you've missed the point. And so therefore, like what I wanna tell you is that you should not resist an evil person. And, and so let me, let me say this this morning. We had a, a, a long conversation about this in, serve, in sermon group this week, but Jesus is not teaching some sort of pacifism. He, he's not trying to tell us that we're basically as believers these doormats that just exist for people to walk all over us. He's not saying that you should stand idly by while an evil person does whatever they want to to you. Jesus is not saying that if you're walking down the street and someone comes up to you and tries to mug you and take your cash, that you should just let them have it. Uh, in fact, give them your credit cards, right? Like, go an extra step. No, he, he, he said, you know, he says, don't, don't resist them. Like, just don't sit back. Do something. But the do something portion that Jesus is gonna lay out is totally different than what they would have expected. Jesus isn't saying we should just sit back and let them do whatever they want to do without bringing about judgment. He's not saying that we should be passive and letting people walk all over us and our families and our friends and even strangers. So for the sake of God's righteousness, as well as for the sake of like human justice itself, believers are obligated not only to uphold the law themselves, but to insist that others do so as well. Like we want to create a society where people actually obey, they listen, they walk it out. So reporting a crime like, is actually an act of compassion, right? It's actually an act of righteousness. It's actually an act of godly obedience as well as this act of the civil responsibility that you and I have. So what does Jesus mean when he says resisting by not resisting an evil person? Jesus isn't talking about pacifism. He's actually getting to the heart of our rights, and he's asking us, are we willing to give up our rights for him and for others? Are we willing to not respond with vengeance against our spouse, against friends, against coworkers, against neighbors, or even against enemies because we feel that they've somehow violated us? Are we willing to think of the other person, no matter who they are, as more important than ourselves? Are we willing to put other people first? And so this isn't a matter of us just resisting evil and combating evil, 
but it has everything to do with us being willing to respond correctly to the offense that's been done to us. How is Jesus calling us to respond to the offense? Because the law says, if that's done to you, then it needs to be done right back. But Jesus is saying to you, there's another way. There's a higher way. There's a different way that people in the kingdom of God respond to this offense. And so specifically, what, what, what Jesus does is like explain this statement by giving these four illustrations that we're gonna talk to this morning. The first is he tells us how to respond to insults. So in verse 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anybody done that lately? Just turn the cheek and taken it? This is actually a really popular statement that Jesus, that Jesus makes, one that I think most people have actually understood, misunderstood um, in its context. And so in many Christian circles, it's talked about in this way. If somebody hits you physically, then you actually shouldn't respond with violence. Like, you should just take it. So if they strike you on one side of the cheek, you should let them hit you on the other side of the cheek. One commentator, commentator that I was reading said this. He said, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you give them the other side of the face to hit. But once they're out of cheeks to hit, they're all yours. <laughs> Third strike and they're out. But it totally misses the point of what Jesus is saying. Like it, it, it's possible that the, the slap that Jesus was talking about was painful. It was painful. But, but again, like the, this passivity of physical abuse was not the point that Jesus was trying to make. Jesus says that if someone slaps you on the right cheek, that's the key, remember this, right cheek, um, most people in the Jewish culture at this time were right-handed. And so if you're gonna slap someone as we think of slapping someone, it's actually gonna happen on their left cheek, right? Right? If I'm right-handed and I go to slap somebody like this, it's gonna happen on their left cheek. So in order to slap somebody on the right cheek with your right hand, how do you have to hit them? Backhand. And so Jesus is referring to this backhand slap across the right cheek. So in, in the Jewish culture, this would have been like actually a significantly worse slap than, than the open-handed slap because this backhand slap that they're referring to was actually a serious Insult. It, it was saying that they were disgusted with them and what they had done. And so ma many say that this sort of slap, this backhand slap that Jesus was talking about was one that was used when condemning somebody of heresy uh, because of their faith. So if that was true, what Jesus is saying here is that if someone comes to you and insults you because of your faith, then don't stop them. Give them the other cheek to insult as well. And instead of seeking revenge, those in the kingdom will actually be real, would be willing to receive the insult again and again. And either way, like, are you this morning, are you willing to be insulted and not respond with insults? Because that doesn't come natural for us. It's a, that's a really interesting concept for me, to be honest with you guys. Oftentimes, my tongue is what gets me in trouble. Anybody else in this room? You dish out sarcasm, I can dish out sarcasm right back. And sometimes there's truth buried in that sarcasm that we dish out, isn't there? And sometimes that truth stings, and sometimes it's in response to something somebody did to us that offended us, and so we respond back with sarcasm. And I've realized that sometimes in my own life, 
Like, I get offended at an insult because I actually fail to be able to laugh at myself. (laughs) But I don't want to dismiss the fact that many people actually take it way too far. Like, what Jesus is saying is that when people insult us for whatever reason, whether it be because of your faith, uh, maybe it's, like, your brains, maybe it's your intellect, maybe it's your look, maybe it's your status, uh, maybe some dumb, dumb thing that you've done, the, the kingdom-minded person, the, the follower of Jesus, turns away and actually doesn't return the insult. They don't pay blow for blow. Anybody ever play that game growing up? Oh my gosh. I traveled around the country for months at a time with skateboarders, and before airsoft guns were like no-nos, Um, we had airsoft guns that looked like real guns, and every guy in the van had an airsoft gun, and it became the thing to, like, take blow for blow. Like, dude, I'll take it on the tongue if you take it on the tongue. Like, oh, man, like, I'll take it point blank to the forehead if you'll take it point, and so it became this game, like, blow for blow all the time in the van. It was absolutely insane. But think about the fact that Jesus does not say why a disciple should actually turn their cheek. He doesn't say that it brings glory to God. He doesn't say that it like, convicts the evil person. Um, it does, he doesn't say that it instills repentance or like, faith in anybody. He, do, he, he doesn't say that the, the violent man will repent, that they will feel remorseful for what it is that they're doing. It just simply is the way of Jesus. His life and his words are our model, like we live by Jesus' way, and so that's the point, that the values of the teacher, Jesus, the rabbi, should actually become the values of us, the students, and, and so isn't that what we're seeing all throughout this Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying, as we're growing more and more in the image of Jesus, as we're seeking to actually align our lives with Christ himself, We should be seeking more and more to respond how Jesus would respond. As corny as it is, what would Jesus do? That really should be the question that we're asking ourselves in the midst of these things because who hasn't been offended in the last week? Not one of you. Who hasn't been insulted in the last six months? We've all faced it. So how did Jesus respond to this? It's interesting, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember when Jesus is arrested and he's taken to trial, remember what they do to Jesus. In Matthew 27, we're told that they stripped Jesus of his clothes, that they put a crown of thorns on his head in this way to to mock him, to mock his claim as being this king of the Jews. And then they spit on him, they hit him. They ask him to identify like which ones hit him. And and then when he's on the cross, they insult him and they say like he he, he couldn't do what he said he was going to do. Like you're not the king of the Jews. They're mocking him the whole time. I'm just saying that if that was us, what would you do if you were in his shoes? What would you do? I'd put them in their place, right? (laughs) Oh, are you ready for this? Lightning bolt from heaven. You know, like I'd do whatever I could to put them in their place. And what does Jesus do? Our model, our teacher, hangs upon that cross 
He doesn't go blow for blow or tit for tat. Like, you know, Jesus could have come up with the best comeback of all time (laughs) while hanging on that cross. But his response, he doesn't revile in return. He utters no threats. He entrusts himself to the Father who judges righteously, as Peter says. So Jesus is saying it's not about eye for an eye, it's about forgiving those who personally insult you. Verse 40, so how does How do we respond to injustice in our life? It says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. (laughs) Um, These insults are things that are done to us. So in verse 40, Jesus is talking about uh, what we would call injustice, like something that is being taken from us. And so this kind of picture that Jesus paints here is that of like a court of law. So imagine that you're being sued over some ridiculous issue, uh, or, or at least you think it's ridiculous, and so let's say that in the court, in the midst of the settlement, they literally take the shirt off of your back. And so you think it's not right, but that's what the judge says, and so that's what you do. You give them the shirt off your back. And so Jesus says that if someone wants to take your shirt, let them have your coat as well. <laughs> Do whatever you have to, like no matter how crazy it might seem to make things right, even if that means you have to give what you should not have to give, give it. So what does that mean? Like for in the Jewish culture, it's interesting, clothing for the Jewish people would have been extremely important and extremely expensive for them. And so it it uh, it wasn't expensive for the sense of fashion uh, necessarily, uh, but it just was expensive because they didn't have a ton of clothing items. Like everybody had a couple changes of clothes. And so they'd have this inner garment that he refers to. And he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, which would be their inner garment, um, or a shirt, I'll use it like that. Um, but they would also have had this outer garment or their coat. It was the thing that kept them warm. And it's so, it could have happened in like a settlement in the court of law with a lawyer that they could be, somebody could be granted your shirt as a reward for something that you might have done. And in extreme cases, they actually would have been rewarded your outer garment as well, your coat, but only under like really extreme circumstances. But what's interesting is that you're told, we're told in Exodus and Deuteronomy that even if someone is given your outer garment, they actually had to return it every day before the setting of the sun. So even if they get your coat, they gotta give it back to you because nobody can go without a coat at night because it's freezing cold and you're gonna need that coat and somebody's gonna die. So they had to return the coat at the end of the night. And then in the morning, they would give it back to the person who it was owed to. It's crazy. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? It was unethical and illegal for someone to just take your coat because you needed it in order to live. And so what Jesus is saying is that Jesus doesn't want you naked. (laughs) Listen to his point. He's telling us to stop defending our rights, stop seeking vengeance. If things happen that we don't think are right, it doesn't matter. Do all we can to make things right, even if it means that people are gonna look at us as crazy or off our rocker. Go above and beyond and give them your cloak. Can you imagine going to someone you think is an evil person and has done wrong by you and offering to do whatever you need to in order to take care of some debt that might be owed to them? Can you imagine the humility that it would take to actually do that? 
And let me ask you a serious question this morning. If we as humans have a hard time going to another human and making things right, even when we didn't think we were wrong, how much more do you think it would have been difficult for Jesus, who didn't sin and knew he was not in the wrong, to actually seek to make things right for evil people he knew were evil? Like, think about that. How crazy was that for Jesus? How did Jesus respond when he was the victim of injustice? And so Jesus' response, when he's hanging unfairly upon the cross, again, he utters these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Like he was in continually entrusting himself to the Father, not taking his own revenge. There's this, this rule that um, I read about a month ago that I'm trying to figure out how to learn to live by myself. And the rule is this, if people defraud you, let God defend you. I constantly, I'm gonna be really real with you guys, I constantly struggle with feeling taken advantage of in my life. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. Like it, it's easy to rest into this place of just feeling sorry for yourself, but, but there's this reality, um, the, 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 the reality this side of heaven is that we're all gonna feel taken advantage of at some point in our life, aren't we? Anybody never felt like that before? And so here's my struggle. I'm not an angry person. Um, uh, seeking vengeance and looking at how I can take the injustice done to me out on other people, that's just not my style. Like I was telling the sermon group this week, I can't imagine hitting somebody. I've just never done it. I don't ever wanna do it. Like it just makes me cringe. I'm just a teddy bear. Like I'm a lover and not a hater. But this is what I'm guilty of. I'm full on guilty of getting all up in my head, thinking about how I've been emotionally impacted by other people. And the honest truth is that I'm not the guy to take an eye for an eye, but I definitely struggle with the desire for people to pay for their mistreating me. It's selfish. And it actually, it lacks this Christ-like response to those that have done the worst of things to us. And in all honesty, it's as if Jesus is saying the only way to fight back is to be generous. Like to go above and beyond for those that have hurt you most because when we give outside of what is possible for us, and I'm not talking about your financial giving, I'm not, this isn't a plea for money, but when we give outside of what comes natural or easy to us, we actually are relying on a love and a strength that only come from who? God himself, straight from the Father. And when we tap into him, in our generosity towards others, it actually takes the focus off of us and what we deserve. It puts the focus on him. Romans 12 says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not about us enacting revenge ourselves for the things that have been unjustly done to us. This kingdom-minded person, the follower of Jesus, 
gives and gives and trusts the Father in heaven for revenge. Like, revenge, vengeance is his. And I'm just being really real. Like, this is something that I struggle with on a regular basis where I'm continually reminding myself that that is the Lord's battle to fight. I give of myself and trust him with the rest. It's, it's his to figure out somebody's heart, how far off they are, what they did. It's not mine to repay it. It's not mine to go blow for blow with the people that have hurt me most. So verse 41, how do we respond to a lack of freedom? Verse 41, he says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them what? Two miles. In the country that we live in, freedom is pretty important to us. We live in this country that, that, as our motto, is basically like, we love freedom. It's like the epitome of what it means to live in America. And so most of us have probably don't have any idea what it means to not be free. And so Jesus takes on this issue of how we should respond when we're forced to do something that we do not want to do. And so the picture that Jesus paints here <laughs> really makes no sense to us. But it was super prevalent in the culture that Jesus is speaking to. So Jesus is talking about this military tactic that the Roman soldiers would use, where they would force the civilians to actually carry their luggage or their personal items for them. So one of the reasons why the people responded to Jesus was because they for sure thought that Jesus was the Messiah. But as the Messiah, they thought Jesus was gonna establish his kingdom right there and then. He was gonna come in and he was gonna kick tail and take names. And so that meant to them that Jesus was gonna revolt against Rome on behalf of the Jewish people. He was gonna overthrow the Roman government and the Jewish people hated the fact that they were basically living in enslavement to the Roman culture. They were slaves to the Romans. And so the soldiers could at any moment walk up to one of the Jewish people and force them to carry their stuff for a mile. Here you go, take my stuff. And then they'd have to carry it like a slave. So think about that. Like, do, does anybody here like being told what to do or forced to do something? Anybody? I want to hang out with you if you do. It'd be really fun, right? I have a bunch of stuff you could carry. And then we have this awesome example of it in Peter as he carries the cross of Jesus at the command of the Roman soldier as Jesus is nearing his death. Like, do you think that he wanted to do that? And so we probably culturally don't understand this, and I doubt that anyone has ever forced you to carry something for a mile um, for them just out of spite or because they had authority over you and they made you do that. But I want you to think about the scenario. Imagine that you're driving down the street. Anybody play golf in town? I'll work you into this. So like, imagine you're driving down the street and maybe you're going to play golf. Along the way, a police officer pulls you over. Any police officers in the room? This is not a slam against cops. Um, but imagine a police officer pulls you over for no reason at all, and he tells you that uh, he needs you to drive to Sandpoint to take something up to Sandpoint for him. And you're like, uh, what? And it's not even anything that's related to his job, it's just a gift for one of his friends. And so, would you please drive this to Sandpoint? And you're like, what? And imagine that he had the authority to tell you to do that, and then you had to just take that thing to Sandpoint for him. What would be your response? In the country we live in, yeah, right. Do it yourself. <laughs> because being forced to do anything in the country that we live in 
usually causes outrage in people. It frustrates us. But Jesus is saying not to be spiteful, but to be helpful people, to forgive the fact that you're being forced into something, being willing to offer yourself up as help, being willing to go the extra mile for them because you're a person of his kingdom. Are you willing to forfeit your freedom for the sake of Jesus? And so how did Jesus respond to this? Jesus voluntarily gave up his freedoms. Think about that. Jesus voluntarily gave himself up on our behalf. Philippians 2 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Um, An author And Pastor R. Kent Hughes said this, revolutionarily righteous people possessing revolutionary joy, even when treated unfairly, call everyone's hearts upward. How about in marriage? When your spouse asks you, or maybe it feels more like a command, but when their spouse asks you to do something that you don't wanna do, how do you respond to your spouse? How about at work? Anyone ever ask you to do something or told you to do something that you didn't want to do? Have you ever felt like you weren't free? And you have an option here. You can either do it with bitterness and with anger and resentment, or you can willingly, with a joyful heart, offer your help. And the last verse is this, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so the last picture that Jesus uses has to do with our hearts in regards to our stuff. This is the craziest one for me. He says that we're to give to him who asks us and not to turn away from helping those that are in need and want to borrow something from us. So Jesus does not mean that we should give endlessly to anyone who asks for something. Anybody just want to give to anybody like if anybody, if we created a society right now today where we said, if anybody asks for anything, you have to give it to them, what would that society look like just within this room? It'd be a mess. There's actually no love given to people if, if we give to the point where they're basically dependent upon us. So what Jesus is talking about is our control over the things that we have when we see a real need. And so Jesus' point is that we should not be people who are stingy who, who um, withhold our money or withhold our things. Like he's asking that we have a generous heart. So here's how it goes if we're really honest with somebody. Somebody comes and maybe asks if they can borrow something for you. So for me, I'm gonna use shoes because I like shoes. Is that all right? Any other shoe, shoe geeks in here? A handful of you in there. They're all women, so I feel quite at home. I'm just gonna use shoes as as an example though. So let's say somebody comes to me and they ask me to borrow shoes. And I know I have a problem, but I really do dig shoes. Uh, When they ask me, I'm more than willing to allow them to borrow the items I have, but here's the dilemma that rolls around in my head. I want them to sign some sort of contract, right? Uh, please don't wear them in the mud. If you would please not wear them outside in the rain, you know, like just take as good a care of them as I would. 
But what Jesus is talking about is someone who has a need and we're willing to help them with no strings attached. Remember that he's not talking about taking vengeance out on someone, somebody that's done something to us. And remember what he says. He's giving these illustrations of people who are evil people. So what if the person who needs to borrow your car or your phone or your snowblower or let's up the ante, the person that needs to borrow your boat or whatever, maybe it's your shoes. But what if the person who wants to borrow something from you is somebody who's done something extremely evil to you? What then? Do you attach strings to your generosity? How do you respond? And this is why forgiveness is so important. You can either hold on to the past or we can either let it go. And Jesus is saying, let it go. Like, let's sing the song, right? Um, don't, don't resist them, but be willing to help. We should never have a heart that says, this is mine, you can't have it. And neither with those we, we really trust or with those that have had, like, we've had really bad relationships with in the past. Like, we should have these hearts of generosity. And most of us are like, that's really difficult to do, and it really is, it's hard. But it's the heart of the person of the kingdom of God. And so here's a couple things that might make it a little bit easier. First, let me tell you this, it's not yours. (laughs) Nothing is yours. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're worried about giving to somebody else, it actually wasn't yours to begin with. Randy Alcorn says, God owns everything, we're just his money managers. It's all his. And this is a serious point. Like, you think you own it, but you don't. And I've told this story before, but I had this car, like my dream car that I got in like the late 90s was a Subaru Outback station wagon. And I was like, yeah, it was like the most rad snowboard car that I could have. I just wanted the rocket box on it, like the perfect car that I'd always dreamt about. And I got that car. And over the course of three years after having that car, it was sideswiped. It was stolen, it was just totally beat up, then it was broken into and the stereo was pulled out of it. The person who stole it used it as a parts car and just destroyed the inside of it. And finally, about five years after getting it, I totaled it and ran into the back of another car on the highway. And it was this continuous lesson for me over that five year period of the fact that this thing holds too much weight in your heart. It's his. These things are all his. How do we become a people that hold everything very open-handedly and realize that nothing we have possession of is actually ours? It's his. Luke 6 says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Like, here's a way to view the economic culture, like the climate in our culture. You either have more or less of God's money and his stuff to manage. And that's it. Like, it's all his. Romans 5 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what Jesus did for us. He was beyond generous. I'm gonna invite the worship team up here. But because of Jesus, we can let go of our desire and the lure for fairness in our life. We can forgive those who do us wrong because we don't get what we deserve anyways, do we? Like Jesus has been abundantly 
generous with us. And Jesus should be the standard of generosity that we look to. Years ago, Heather and I, uh, we like, never had anything. And it seemed like somebody would give us some money and we'd stash it away into a bank account and you'd have like 500 bucks saved away, and which for us was like really awesome in our 20s. And um, now I've got like millions stashed away, so it's like way better. Uh, but we'd have like 500 bucks stashed away in our bank account. And the ongoing joke became every time we get money stashed away, the Lord like brings a need to us for the exact amount that we've stashed away and we have to give it all away. And I kid you not, for the first 10, 12 years of our marriage, it was like we'd get a little stashed away and God would bring somebody to us that needed the money. And every part of you, when they'd come to you and they'd say, you know, we're in need or we had, we're, we're trying to find money for this or whatever it was, we knew that he was asking us to give it and there was part of you that wanted to be like, all right, let's set up a contract. Um, I'm gonna give you the $500. I'd like five easy payments of $100 a month until I get paid back at an 8% interest rate. But what we realized was that like, when God called us to give, we just give, right? No strings attached. And two times in that 10 years, we got burned super bad where people said, can we borrow money? And we were like, yeah, and we didn't have it to give. We had very little and we gave it. And then they never returned it. And it was this awesome lesson for us early on in our marriage of the fact that like it's all his and we trust that he gives and he takes away. We trust that he brings people into our life that he knows need more than we do at certain seasons. And when we give, we don't give with any sort of attachment to that thing because it wasn't ours to begin. So as we'd loan money, we would, and I'm not telling you this because I don't want a bunch of people asking me for money afterwards, but it became kind of our MO in our marriage that like, even when people said, can I borrow X dollars, we just gave it. If it came back, awesome. If it didn't, awesome. It just really wasn't ours to begin with. And as you look at your whole life and you think about like generosity in general, Jesus has this constant ask to go above and beyond. It's not tit for tat. It's like enough and then a little more. Because there's something about getting past ourselves when we give to somebody else of our time, of our money, of our things, especially to those that have hurt you most. Like there's something about being generous to people that we hold major grudges against that has been really hard for me over the years to learn. But I will tell you something. The love you possess is not yours either. It's the Lord's. It's for him to fill you up so that you can empty yourself out, so that you can be refilled. And for some of you in this room this morning, man, this might seem like just a crazy exegetical gymnastics, whatever message to this passage, but for some of you in this room, you, you literally have been contemplating in your, in your mind how you're gonna get somebody back for something that they did to you. And it's marred your heart. 
And this morning, Jesus is, I think, asking you to release that, to go above and beyond and be generous to the people that have been most hurtful to you. What does it look like for you to give to those that have done some of the worst things? What does it look like to go the extra mile, to give the shirt off your back, as we would say it? Would you guys stand with me? We're going to take communion together. And um, just as a reminder, that all of this that we're talking about goes back to the cross of Jesus, doesn't it? It all goes back to what he did when he lived the perfect life, when he went to the cross and died a death that he didn't deserve to die so that we could live a life that we couldn't live. Those who are part of the kingdom cannot preach about a God who forgives or a Christ that came to offer forgiveness and then live unforgiving lives. Jesus is calling us to go the extra mile to extend forgiveness to those that have offended us. As we take communion this morning, Jesus said we take communion in remembrance of him. That we partake in communion, we remember his body broken for us. That's why we take the bread. We remember his blood shed for us. That's why we drink the juice. We remember the work that Jesus accomplished through his death and ultimately his resurrection, a work that we couldn't do on ourselves, but a work that provided true forgiveness and salvation and freedom, a work that liberated you and I from something that once bound us down. And this morning, for those of you that profess to follow Jesus, may communion be a time for you to remember the gift that was given to you. For those of you who don't know Jesus, this morning is an invitation into that gift for you, where Jesus is calling your name. He's reminding you this morning that he paid the ultimate price to forgive you of your sins, to wash your sins away as far as the east is from the west, to remove you of your guilt and shame, that he became the sin for you. It was pinned to that cross, and ultimately Jesus didn't stay there. Jesus rose again. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power in his Holy Spirit that he sent to live within you and I. And if you're here this morning, you've never called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'll throw that invitation out there this morning. He says it's simple. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he died, that he rose again, that you will be saved. And it's easy and so as we take communion this morning, um, I'd invite those of you forward who know Jesus to partake in communion and remember his body broken and his blood shed for us. For those of you that don't know Jesus, I'd invite you this morning to surrender your life to the living God, to trust him with everything. As we talk about generosity and all of it's his, your life is not your own, your life is his. He granted it and he takes it away. It's his to do with. And so if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, what an awesome opportunity for you this morning to acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior and trust your life into his hands. If you need prayer this morning, we're gonna have a prayer team over here while we sing um, at the end here. And we would love to surround you with prayer, to lay hands on you with whatever it is you're going through in your life. We'll have a prayer team to my stage left. 
over there. But as we sing these songs, I'm going to ask you just to do business in your heart with the Lord. To acknowledge him for who he is and the gift that he's given you. And then come forward and to take communion this morning. And, um, and then we're going to sing some songs together. And then we'll be dismissed as soon as we're done worshiping this morning.